making sense of it Everywhere I go I'm bound to Club Podcast. I'm Jim Laskowski here with a very special bonus episode, uh, a short one at that, to let you all know about a film called Queen of Earth. It's also interesting that I'm recording this first thing in the morning over a cup of coffee here. First time I've ever done that. I wonder if my voice sounds any different. Um, <laughs> so the writer-director... Uh, of Queen of Earth is one you may be familiar with if you've listened to a previous episode with guest Ben Medina. So, um, <laughs> yeah, Alex Ross Perry. Um, I interviewed him. I was lucky enough to talk with him for roughly 15 minutes about his latest film. And uh, I couldn't be more excited to share this with you. Honestly, I wish it could have been an hour-long conversation. Maybe when his next film comes out, whether it's a rumored um, Don DeLillo adaptation, or, oddly enough, a Winnie the Pooh reboot. So, um, I'm hoping to try again, maybe, in the future for a longer conversation, because he is quite articulate and a true movie fan, so... Before we get to the interview, settle in for a second. I don't know how you feel about my introductions or not, but let's just say, <clears throat> instead of calling this a rambling introduction, this is my pseudo-review. No, it's my review of Queen of Earth. Um, I can see people not connecting with this one at all. Yeah, I just took a sip of coffee. Um, <laughs> and honestly, I found myself fighting with it as I was watching it. Um, ultimately, giving in and thinking it was one of the best films of the year by the very end. Um, once the credits started rolling, I couldn't I couldn't help but question my love for it. Uh, once again, it's one of those things where, and I, I've, I've talked about this probably in the past, where my own personal feelings influencing a review, a criticism, like, because I understood this, you know, mood piece of sorts, does uh, that sort of override my ability to um, objectively deconstruct and criticize this movie uh, appropriately? Because this movie, in some regard or another, just hit home, and for some people, they might have a complete disconnect. They might... Even if they have suffered from depression, maybe uh, they'll just, you know, shrug it off. Maybe they'll think, uh, you know, this this is kind of amateur hour or something. I don't know. I hope not because I think, I think I mentioned this in the interview where I say it, it, it's got a loose feel, but yet I think it's 
it's constructed very confidently. Um, and whether or not, like, you just, you know, latch on to this world that Alex Ross Perry created, um, because I don't know, there's, there's just some films, the single location character studies really speak to me, um, when characters are struggling with what's going on, whether it's real, internal, external, it's just, it's totally up my alley. But I can't help but question my love for it at the same time. You know, because both in 2001 and fairly recently, dealing with some intense, you know, both depression and psychosomatic issues, or even, as you probably know from uh, earlier episodes, when I sort of revealed, like, what was going on and couldn't figure out what was happening due to some uh, symptoms I was experiencing, whether if it was psychological or not, it turns out a, a, a huge chunk of my pain that I was experiencing on my face was due to shingles. But I, um, okay, all that aside, there are moments in this film where I was like, oh yeah, yep, that's happened. There was a time when, like, a friend would bring me a salad and it would just sit there. I would definitely eat, but it would mostly be junk food and pizza which kind of explains my complicated relationship with food, too. But going back to the film itself, the one thing I can say is I adored the performances. I think Elizabeth Moss should be nominated for an Oscar. She somehow manages to make me understand what her character is going through, but also get really frustrated at the same time. Uh, I think Alex Ross Perry is really good at capturing the gray area of, of, of humanity, like not demonizing them, and not uh, romanticizing them, just capturing their ugliness, and uh, not not judging them at the same time. So, I mean, it's, it's it's a really fascinating film to experience. And depending on where you at or who you are, you know, you could you could definitely be watching this one day and love it, and watching this another day and be indifferent towards it. Maybe who who knows? It's interesting. It's a very interesting experience to where I'm like, I don't know if I can attribute a star rating. I'm pretty sure it'll be in my top ten, but I'm I'm like really torn about being like, okay, this is this is what makes this film so great. But I guess <laughs> every criticism <laughs> or every single review you, you make is like, this is what I think. But I can't tell you what you think. So um you could love it, you could hate it, that's great. But I think what <laughs> I think what Perry captures so beautifully here is that there's this feeling of mental illness as a prison, and it's a self-imposed prison where even those we trust and are closest to can only come up to you know the steel bars, but never really reach out and help the person inside that prison. So like, you know, there were times where close friends would would try to help. But they could maybe look in and see me, but they couldn't actually reach out and have an impact in the way that they would hope. It's the same thing where you want to try and change a person, but you can't. And that's what's frustrating, and that's why I also related to the Catherine Waterston character at certain points, because I've been on the opposite side. I've been on the side of, like, caretaker and trying to help a person deal with their own depression and getting frustrated with that experience. So I've been on both, both of these characters I understood at different times. 
So I think this movie contextualizes depression and isolation in a way that I had just identified with. Um, and I couldn't, I, I couldn't help but tell, you know, Alex Ross Perry himself where this stems from. This kind of goes all the way back to 2001, October of 2001, like literally a month after September 11th, my dad passed away. And then months later after that, my fiance and I broke up. And all I could do was sit alone in my basement, um, almost immobile. So in some way, I just, you know, immersed myself and relived certain feelings that I had relapsed into not too long ago, but also tried to just put on the back burner and save for, you know, therapy, which is probably what most people are like, oh yeah, just save that for therapy, Jim, don't don't divulge too much on the podcast here. This is uh, a fun-loving movie-related show, but or, but then uh, it gets, again, whenever I try to, you know, um, think too deeply, most people say it's your show, make it what you want. Um, other people will fast forward if they're not into it. Other people will skip the episode entirely, or they'll join in and appreciate the honesty. So I shouldn't overthink it, but that's kind of part of my nature including like, oh my god, I had a pizza yesterday, so time for a salad today. Like, I guess it's in my nature to overthink stupid things uh, like that. Um, and it's weird, because like, I even have this weird relationship with podcasting and film viewing, because part of it is very solitary, and yet I know people are listening, and there's an element of connecting, because you are having this um, active... Well, not active, but you're having a... Um, experience where you're listening to other people and kind of having a conversation in a way. I mean, not in the traditional, you know, I'm sitting down with a cup of coffee, you're sitting down with a cup of coffee and we're talking in person, but um, I think the way we connect is very different. Like Facebook messaging and texting and podcasting. Um, it's great. I love it. But I also have a <laughs> difficult time because I'm like, is this real? Or um, have I just sort of settled into my isolated cocoon and, you know, oh, I'm still connecting with people. Look at text, 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 and that, that, that. So, I mean, this movie doesn't necessarily <laughs> go that deep into things. It's just me projecting a little bit about, like, hmm, am I still depressed? Or am I dealing with it the way I want to? And what does this movie say about isolation and privacy and trying to deal with things in a healthy way because <clears throat> part of me is like, oh yeah, you got your best friend there, everything's fine. But then a lot of the time she's completely closed off and closing the door and sleeping and not really making an effort. And that's frustrating to me when you have somebody who cares about you and you're not making an effort to really um, attend to them and have a you know, sort of back and forth um, feeling. And even there's, you'll know the shot when you see it, but there's a very interesting set of monologues. Um, and that's another thing, too. I don't want to give too much away. I want you to experience this movie pretty cold. So, um, but yeah, I mean, this movie is fascinating. Um, whether you love it or hate it or feel indifferent towards it, it's just fascinating to experience. Yet, at the same time, I could be 1,000% sort of projecting myself onto the screen again. 
like, oh my god, I need this movie to make sense to me, and this is what I need to get out of the experience. So, it's hard to know the director's intent, but I try to at least get that out of him somewhat. Um, and in terms of form, I think this really has some interestingly composed shots, one of which I talk about with Perry. So, but have no fear, this interview is spoil-free, and in summation, I think Queen of Earth is kind of this amalgam of themes stemmed from masterpieces like Repulsion or Three Women about identity in flux and how depression sort of compromises an ability to be around other people. There's a monologue late in the film, which I believe was only done in like three takes, where Elizabeth Moss confronts Patrick Fugit in a way, that to me felt like the essence of the movie where there's like projection, scapegoating, catharsis, all these emotions sort of coming together. And it also captures like uh, the reaction I have to the movie as a whole where the eternal optimist wants to reject this dismissal of humanity, but then there's a part of me that goes, yep, that's exactly what it is. That's exactly what it feels like that's what I relate to the most. So on a pure psychological level, clearly Queen of Earth really got to me. But I can't say for sure if it's a perfect film or not. Um, again, it's just maybe I was vulnerable. I don't know. I'm just processing a lot after experiencing this movie in the best way I think great movies can affect you. So don't take my word for it. Just Let's just get to the interview already. Because um, it's a hard movie to just outright review um, I think you're going to bring whatever you bring to this movie maybe you'll love it and maybe you'll hate it and maybe you'll just be indifferent so I guess it's the case for all movies anyway let's just get to this damn interview already I just couldn't help but sort of preface this interview too um, by elaborating on my experience of watching Queen of Earth which is really complicated really um, really fascinating to me. So, much like the the Duke of Burgundy from earlier this year, it's a movie that I have um, have issues with, but not like in a way that makes it a bad movie or a complicated movie. Just uh, a fascinating one, and I probably use fascinating at least six times in this conversation. So I'm going to stop. Okay, so let's get to the interview as promised with someone whose work I continue to appreciate more and more. Here's a quick conversation about Queen of Earth with the one and only director Alex Ross Perry. <laughs> So, I need to ask, how's Fluffy doing? Uh, Fluffy's doing great. He's, he's sitting right here on, on my desk in the sun. Aww. Because um, his recovery's been, been pretty incredibly comprehensive and, and really encouraging. He spends um, most of every day just full of energy and begging in a way Aww. that he didn't for a while. He was kind of at his worst. And he seems great. And, uh, yeah, it's been a really long time since he's had any procedure or medicine, um, like maybe almost five months now. And every day he just seems, you know, like his old self. So uh, he appreciates the concern. And he's uh, hoping that soon I'll not be on the phone so he can continue <laughs> sitting around in, in peace and quiet. 
Yeah, my cat goes crazy when I'm watching movies or I'm on the computer or something. It's like, pay attention to me. I'm right here. Um, <laughs> so I need to come out and say that your film punched me in the gut uh, and it had me waking up in the middle of the night. So that's a compliment. <laughs> I I think you've managed to capture the essence cool. of Polanski and two of Altman's most interesting films, Three Women and Images. Uh, but you also told a psychological deconstruction that's totally yeah, all, the, all your own. Um, so I just have to ask the basic question. When did this story come to you? What was the process like in writing it? What inspired it? I'm just very curious about the inception of uh, Queen of Earth. Well, you know, as you just said, there's a lot of different, not just movies, but, you know, the kind of movie that this is that I, I was really excited about making is the sort of thing that can encompass everything from, you know, like high art, you know, can film festival winning Robert Altman films down to grimier American low budget genre filmmaking. And to sure. me, the kind of beauty of a film like this is that it can be an art film. And it can be a psychologically thrilling kind of atmospheric movie. And those things can kind of work in harmony with one another, as all the best of those films do. And, you know, it's one of my favorite kinds of, of movies. And, and the whole idea was just trying to make, you know, as, I, as I've done with, with my other movies, specifically with Snow Phillip, you know, just like the kind of movie that I like the most, but in the way that I feel like only I can make it exactly the way I want it because only, I mean, this is of course, I'm sure literally not true, but it is my belief that, you know, only I could see the similarities between high and low cinema and blend them together with the way I like things to be shot and the way I like the performances to be, and, you know, just to feel confident that the ingredients I'm bringing into this combined with my own personal feelings on this history of cinema and, you know, of course, the personal elements of the writing will create something that feels, um, you know, part of a tradition, but also totally new and not like something you've seen before. Yeah, I got that impression. Um, I mean, th it's it's hard to talk about, too, just because... Like I related to the character, um, particularly uh, Elizabeth Moss and her need for seclusion from people, because it's it's hard to face um, certain types of people that you don't entirely understand. And I think you are incredibly fearless in that you you don't necessarily care if the audience identifies with the protagonist and don't always provide an easy way out. Um, but at the same time, there are certain components of both uh, Philip and um, Elizabeth Moss's character that I can appreciate and identify with wholeheartedly. Um, and in my opinion, I think these last two films sort of center around like this theme of artifice and pretension <laughs> And it leading to sort of like an existential crisis. Now, do you feel like 
writing characters like the ones you have sort of help you to make sense of imperfections and callousness and hypocrisy? Because I imagine like a lot of the authors you admire, um, that writing has to be more than just an act of creation, but more as a way to understand the human experience. Well, I think the the human element that you're you're describing just comes from the fact that you know, really specifically in Philip and in this film, the central drama of the characters is coming from having one viewpoint that is split in half and hmm. left to fight against itself in the form of two opposing characters. So, you know, there's no sense of forced identification with their experiences because depending on the viewer or the viewer's mood at the time they're watching it or the point, you know, you watch the movie one day, you identify with the Catherine character. Maybe the next time you're watching it, you're having a different kind of day and you identify with the Virginia character. Totally. Because to me, I, I don't really frame either one of them as right or wrong or as the villain or the hero. They're both complex and they both represent different halves of a situation that to me is very personal and very real and very alive. And the whole point of making the movie is to kind of watch these two halves come into conflict with one another and see what happens because I could see it either way. And I hope that the, the storytelling and the performances and the style of the characters is objective enough that it is clear that you, you can see it either way as well. Um, just from a narrative perspective, there, there's no, there's no forced emotion. There's no moment where it's like, okay, so like, I understand now this character is, is the evil one and the other one's the victim. It really, it, it goes back and forth like a pendulum. And to me, right. that's just, that's just fun to watch as a fan of, of a certain kind of movies. So that's definitely the way I wanted this to feel. Yeah, that's very uh, reminiscent of Cassavetes, I think. Like, there are certain scenes, especially when they're confrontational, that reminds me of Cassavetes quite a bit. Uh, I think both actresses here really showcase a juggling act when it comes to, um, you know, just the emotional inconsistency they're experiencing and identity crisis. Uh, when it comes to shooting, how much is kind of planned out in your mind ahead of time and how much is organic and instinctive and how much do the actresses sort of bring to the table? Well, a lot is the hope. And again, this is what I was describing. The, the nature of the, of the narrative and the, and the characters is totally objective enough that it's up to them to bring a lot of their own ideas in uh, scene by scene and really guide each moment from what it is on the page, which is, you know, fairly complete in my opinion, and then take it to another level where it's not just a completely written character, but a performance that has all the qualities I was just describing are what I hope for out of the end result. And, you know, just, it's really my, me putting enough faith in them to trust their instincts as performers based on this material to get me to exactly where I want to be, whether I realize it before they take us there or not. Um, what I've, you know, really enjoyed about these last couple of movies is just watching the way that great professional actors modulate little tiny decisions in order to 
fill in every moment with something exciting. Um, you know, a 20-second scene with no dialogue of a character by themselves, you can, you can sleepwalk through that or you can have as much of a conversation about it as you do about any other scene. And it's fun for me to just be working with people who want every moment to have something in it that connects to the larger film. Yeah, I was going to ask, too, just you know, branching off of that idea, did you ask Elizabeth Moss not to blink for one particular and very memorable long shot? No, that's a perfect example of what I mean when I say that I, I just kind of give the freedom and then get surprised because, you know, on the page, a moment like that, you know, it's just saying Catherine sits in bed and, you know, has this kind of isolating experience where she stares into space. And that, that might be all that was written. And then the way we decide to do it and the kind of cinematographer's suggestion, you know, we end up saying, well, this could be a great opportunity for, you know, a, a really long zoom. And then we do it. And I'm, I'm so excited by what he's doing. And then it's not even until I, I watch it in an edit that I say, wow, like she somehow... The performance became a physical enough thing, independent of what was written, but inspired by what the emotion as described on the page was, that the decision here was to do this entire shot without blinking your eyes. Now, I would never even think to write that or to have it in me to do something a fourth or fifth time because the performer blinks right at the end and the shot's not perfect. But when you see that that's the decision the actor made, and it had nothing to do with anything I told them, but it just had to do with the way they read what was written, then I feel like everyone is making the same movie. So was this um, always intended to be edited edited in a way that reflects fractured memory? Um, in other words, was it written that way, or was this just something that sort of developed... Um, in the editing process? Flashbacks um, are exactly as written in the script. They hmm. occur at all the same points, and the film was shot in sequence, and the flashbacks were shot exactly where you see them in the movie in sequence. We did not do them all on one day and then just edit them throughout. You know, if you have flashbacks in between two scenes, we shot it in between those two scenes, and it required the performer to kind of hopscotch back and forth between different mentalities of this year and last year for their characters. But because of my explanation to them about why the flashbacks are where they are and what function they serve, I think if we just done them all at once, they wouldn't have felt right because they were performed by the actors in the flow of where they land in the movie. And therefore they have everything that came before that scene uh, on the actor's mind, and they, they know where things are going, even if they haven't done it yet. So that was, you know, uh, an idea that in the final version is 100% what it was in, in the very first draft. Wow. Well, I'd also be remiss in not mentioning the fact that I recently recorded a podcast with a future filmmaking savant um, by the name of Ben, who is... 18 years old and might know more about film than I do, and he considers you to be his favorite director working today. Um, 
So he simply wants to know if you would choose Godard or Truffaut. <laughs> Tough question. Um, I mean, Rivette always. Yeah, the answer is always, since the first retrospective is where I saw these movies, uh, definitely the answer is Rivette, which, ah. which isn't, isn't an option you just gave me. <laughs> but hands down, uh, that's the third-party choice. Nice. Yeah, I'm sure we can go on and on, and I know your time is limited, but uh, there's <laughs> we could talk movies forever, I'm sure. But before uh, I let you go, I have to say that along with the Duke of Burgundy from earlier this year, I think Queen of Earth will be remembered years down the road and could go on to be an all-time favorite of mine. Since it captures a mood that I have experience with, there was a time... When I lost my dad, my fiancé left me shortly after, and I had a breakdown uh, that didn't sit well with a close friend of mine. So you can imagine my investment level with these characters and how high it was. And the experience of watching it was just so incredibly memorable, and I can't thank you enough for making this movie. It's... It's something truly special, Alex. Cool. Thanks so much. I really appreciate that. I'm glad to see something that was made, you know, totally without any consideration of what on earth this thing is going to play like for anyone other than the people making it has the ability to connect in the way that you're describing. It's very surprising and humbling. Well, thanks a lot for your time and for being on the Directors Club podcast. Hopefully, you can be on again for your next feature. Um, I'm really excited to see what you do what you do with Don DeLillo because I'm a huge fan of his work. So, excited for the future, man! Thanks a lot for being on the cool. show. Cool. Thanks so much for having me. All right, take care, Alex. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please visit directorsclubpodcast.com as well as sending me uh, an email at directorsclubpodcast at gmail.com with any comments, suggestions, uh, questions, recipes. And uh, we'll see you very soon, actually, for a couple of episodes. One is a pop culture club music-centric episode as well as a new director episode. I'm David Wayne, a comedy filmmaker that you were probably very familiar with, and I couldn't be more thrilled to talk with Corey Pierce about the work of one of my favorite comedy directors of all time. So that'll be exciting and uh, a lot of fun. So stick around, and m- once again, thank you so much for listening, everybody. This, is, this was a very special interview, as always, and much, much appreciation for Alex Ross Perry for popping on for a bit because I know he's a busy guy. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody. Goodbye. Goodbye.